0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky
1: Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Letter number 19,
2: page 328 And this is based on the verse of Psalms, Telem, some. It's a very, very fundamental letter.
0: He wraps himself with light as with a garment. The verse speaks of light hidden within a garment. The Ultra-Rebbe will explain here how the light of Torah that transcends Revelation is vested in a concealing garment.
2: Torah is how the infinite, how Hashem communicates with us. It's like an intermediate between Hashem and us. And like any intermediate, as intermediate has to have is made up of two levels. There's one level that represents above, a level above, Hashem, and there's a level that represents represents us. So in order for the intermediate to be able to be an interface between. Us and Hashem, the intermediate, has to have a component that's represented reflective of Hashem and a component that's reflective of the world. And this is what David HaMelech means, that Hashem wraps himself. Hashem wraps himself with light as with a garment. So Hashem wraps himself in order to reveal himself, in order to interact with us and to face with us, Hashem wraps himself with light like with a garment so there's two aspects to the Torah Torah is like a a garment that's the interface that's how Hashem reveals Himself to us and it's made up of two parts there's the light and then there's the garment the garment contains the light so the light is a reflection of the infinite the light reflects the source the sun The light reflects the infant. And the garment reflects the world. And that's why in Torah you also have two parts to the Torah. We have the revealed part of the Torah, the nigla of the Torah, the revealed part of the Torah, the Talmud, halacha, the Torah that deals with the tangible, with the practical. And then you have the light of Torah, the secrets of the Torah, the inner aspects of the Torah. The Torah that discusses godliness discusses Hashem. And the garment contains within it the light. And they're parallel. You know, it's like a body and a soul. Everything in the body perfectly matches the soul. The eye, the physical eye, perfectly matches the soul's ability to see. Everything in the body that's parallel, the body and the soul are completely parallel, reflect each other, express each other, reflect each other. So too, the garment and the light are perfectly parallel. So every halacha in the Torah, every story in the Torah, every word in the Torah, letter in the Torah, contains a secret, contains the inner part of the Torah. And it expresses itself in a tangible way in the garment. So you have the light, and then the light encloses itself in the garment, and that's the interface of Hashem with with the world. That's how Hashem... Communicates with the world. That's how. That's the intermediate This is the introduction. So in order to understand this, Al Rebbe continues, and now he's going to quote from the inner and the light of Torah, from the inner aspect of the Torah. Continue in the Kuti Torah.
0: In the Kutti Torah by Rabbi Azik Luria of blessed memory, Parsha Ki Tisa and Parsha Vayekra it is stated that Moshe Rabbeinu, peace to him, did not apprehend the the most inward and profound level of supernal Chachma, which is called Abba of Atsilu. The degree of divinity called supernal Chachma is not limited to the spirit of Chachma in the world of Atsilu. It also possesses a number of levels that transcend it, such as Chachma of Keter, Chachma Adam Kadman, and so on. The Alter Rebbe is now explaining that not only were these loftier levels of supernal kochma beyond Moshe's apprehension, but so too was even the pinimiyut of the kochma of Atsilu, in other words, Abba of Atsilu, and a fortiori, not the sphera of Keter called Arif Anpin that transcends kochma. For the very name Ar- oh, Anpin literally the long continence, implies a level of divinity of infinite extent and hence beyond the reach of any soul clothed in a body. Rather, Moshe Rabbeinu apprehended as far as the the exterior levels of Chukma, which are vested in Dina. Unlike the internal and essential aspect of Kokma, the exterior aspect of Kokma is capable of descending into lower levels of divinity, such as the sphere of Dina which in turn is vested in the seven lower spheres collectively called zier ankin, literally the small continents. This name implies a level of divinity which is contracted to within finite dimensions. In this spirit, the seven emotive attributes are called mudot, whose singular form translates literally as measure, for it refers to the infinite Sof flight when it is at the stage of having garbed itself in finitude in order thereby to become the source for created worlds.
2: Heavy-duty Kabbalah. We talk of the Ten Svirot. And we learned earlier that we are a model. We are created in the image of Hashem. So to help us understand, in order to help us understand Hashem, so we have also a parallel reality. From our own personal reality, we can get some glimpse, some understanding of, we talk of Hashem's personality, so to speak, the Ten svirot. So, just like within a person, the first level of consciousness is Chachma, creative spark, creative flash, which is more like an experience, so it's very personal. It's not something that's communicable. You can't even communicate it, you can barely communicate it to yourself. It's just a uh, eureka moment, uh, an insight, uh, something falls into your head, an idea f- pops into your head. You don't even have the words, it's more like a sense, it's more of a feeling, a sense, an experience. It feels like a revelation, uh, it's a tremendously pleasurable experience. And that's why it says the inner, internal aspect of Abba, Abba is the father, that refers to the level of Chachma, the initial spark which is like the sperm, which is like the creative, the beginning of creativity that leads to the whole process, that culminates into the birth of the child. But it all begins in that spark, in that seed, which is the first level of consciousness, the first stirring of consciousness, the first communique from the subconscious to the conscious, and that's the level of Chachma. That's more of a personal experience, not something you can communicate to others, to words. You can't share it with others, it's just a... A revelation, something stirs inside, and it's tremendously pleasurable. Your face lights up when you have it's an insight. A consciousness or superconsciousness. It's, it's 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 the communication from the superconscious to the conscious, from the subconscious to the conscious. That's why it's called Chachma Comes from nothing. What do you mean from nothing? It doesn't come from nothing. It Comes from within you, but it comes from a part within you that you're not even aware of. Suddenly, something pops into your head, seemingly out of nowhere. That comes. That's it's not out of nowhere. It comes from your subconscious. But that, beyond our grasp, we're completely unaware of that. So the first consciousness of things that we're aware of is that eureka, that idea that just enters into our head. We see that bolt of lightning and we see a clear path and suddenly we get some sort of answer, something of that dilemma that's been puzzling us and troubling us and bothering us and we have a breakthrough. A concept, a new way of looking at it, a creative way of looking at it. But that's more of that personal experience. then... You have to take the Chachma and bring it down to the level of Bina. You have to take that Chachma and bring it down to the analytical mind, from the right brain to the left brain. Now you have to start articulating it. You have to start finding words, explanations, make sense of it, the logic, the technical, the mechanical, the mathematical parts of it. You have to figure it all out. So the level of chachma, the only the external level of Chachma, could be transmitted to the level of Bina the level which could be grasped, the level which could be explained and could be brought into words. But even Bina is still abstract. It's it's your mind. And that's the nature of intellect. The nature of intellect, an intellectual person doesn't need anyone. He can entertain himself. He's a very self-sufficient individual. On the contrary, he finds people very distracting. He likes to uh, learn learn himself and read for himself and think for himself and keep himself busy and entertain himself 24-7. That's the nature of the intellect. The intellect is very isolated. It's very personal. It's very, it's to yourself. You don't need anyone else in order to, to think, to, to, to contemplate, to figure things out. Then, that leads to the world of emotion. That's a whole different world. The world of emotion, that's why emotions are called midot. It comes from the word mida, a measure. Because emotions, and that's why it says Hashem created the world in seven days with the seven emotions. Because the world, you know, the Torah perceives the world. Because Torah is God's mind, so to speak. Hashem is mind. That's the way Hashem is thinking for Himself. There's no need for anyone. There's, there's nothing besides Hashem. Worlds, by definition, emotions, by definition, means that there's something besides me. The whole idea of an emotion is, it characterizes me. It defines me, it characterizes me, how I relate to the world outside of me. I love, I hate, I'm attracted, I'm repulsed, I'm repelled. It's my relationship and interaction with the world around me. That's the world of emotions. And that's why the world of emotions, you have seven emotions. Because you have all different approaches. Some say it's kosher, some say it's not kosher. Some say reject it, and some say no, bring it closer. It's kosher, it's mutar. Some say no, you have to repulse it, you have to reject it. To despise it so all these emotional reactions. So the whole Torah, the Torah which breaks down into right and wrong, kosher, not kosher, permitted, not permitted, obligated, not obligated, pure, impure, this is already the world of emotions. How you define and how you label and how you re- react to the world outside of you. So the world of emotions, Hashem creates the world with his emotions. When you say Hashem loves, there has to be Hashem loves something. So there has to be a world that Hashem loves. When you say Hashem thinks, he doesn't need anyone. He can think for himself, he can, he can so to speak, he can comprehend for himself, even if, the, even if there's nothing. There's no one else to speak to. But when you say emotions, emotions means that there's already a relationship. And the outside, outside characterizes me, begins to characterize me. I'm kind to the person outside of me if I love the person outside of me if I'm attracted to the person outside of me or I'm repulsed by them, I hate them I'm I'm disgusted by them so all these is in relation to the others but nevertheless, even emotions are still internal because this can all go on inside of me this is all what's going on inside of me it's my, it defines me how I relate to the world outside of me But you could be sitting alone and have very intense emotions about others but even if they don't know about it, I have very intense emotions about it. Avram was sitting in his tent after the bris. And he was in pain because three days went by. He didn't have a single guest. He wanted so much to do kindness. He wanted so much to help and to give. Every day of his life, he helped and he gave. And, and here, three days went by. The first time in his life, in his adult life, three days went by and he didn't do a single act of kindness. He was more miserable, more in pain from that than his surgery. the age of 99, So Avram was sitting in his tent and he was stewing in all these emotions. There was no one to share it with. So even though my emotions are characterized by my my relationship to something outside of me, but it characterizes me. It's my characterization. It's all about me. What kind of person am I? What am I I attracted to? What What am I drawn to? What am I repulsed by? Then comes the next level. The next level is where you actually have to carry out these emotions. You have to take it to the next level. I want to do kindness. Okay, now i got to get it done. From idea, from concept, to reality. I love and I want to do kindness. So i got to get it done. And that needs a whole different set of attributes. That's what we call... In the Kabbalah, Netzachoid and Yisoyed. Netzachoid and are the auxiliaries, like the legs that carry the person. You have the brain, which is the Chachma Bin the right brain, the left brain, the limbic brain. Then you have the heart, which is the seat of emotions. But then you have the legs. A person could be, God forbid, without legs. He still has his heart, he's still alive, he's still a full person. But the legs is what carries you. Now you want to implement. You want to implement the emotions. You can have a person who's very loving and very kind. But the smallest obstacle stops him. I want to do good. But you know, there was a difficulty. It's just too much of a hassle. It's too difficult. And nothing happens. His heart is inflamed. He loves so much and he has so much to give and he wants to do. He wants to give. But you know, a little obstacle. And that's it. He's out of commission. He doesn't have legs. He can't implement. doesn't have what it takes to see it through, to implement. The ability to implement the netzach, the ability to overcome obstacles. You can have a person who maybe is not so emotional, does not the kindest person in the world. Maybe he has a little kindness inside him, but he has strong legs. <laughs> he can implement. Whatever he decides to do, nothing is going to stop him. He's going to overcome all obstacles from within and from without, and he's going to make sure that whatever he decided, that kindness, that he decided, little kindness that he has, it's going to happen so that's the ability of ambition the ability to ambition to make it to to bring it out practically to make it happen to go forward take the emotions and to go forward with so that's like the leg it's more external to the body it's more external to the person but it's it's essential if you want to bring these emotions into real life you want to affect the other person you want to reach the other person you have to have legs that will that will take you there Otherwise you're here and they're there and what does it help them? That your heart is on fire and you're filled with all these lovely emotions. It's not reaching them. So to reach, you've got to move. You have the ability to move forward. And then comes the actual implementation, which is the action. When you actually make the sale. When you speak to the other person. Speech, you can't speak if you're alone. Speech, by definition, is without the other person there's no point in speaking. You don't need speech for yourself. If you're living alone, there's no, there's no one to talk to. There's no need to talk to. What, what's there to talk? What, what are you going to say? What's there, what's there to add? You know what you're thinking. You know what's going on inside of you. I don't need to speak. There's no one to speak to. Speech by definition only begins with the other person. Communication begins with the other person. If there's no one sitting in front of me, I'm not speaking to anyone, there's no communication. Zero communication. There's no need for communication emotions I can have even without the other person. It's about the other person, but it's my emotions. It's my characteristic traits. It defines my personality and character. So, so that's I can do alone in relation to the other person. But speech, without the other person, there's no speech. So speech, malchut, that's where the actual communication, that's where the axe meets the wood. That's where the feet hit the ground, and that's where you make the sail, and that's where... It's done. The sale is done. The the transaction, the marketplace, the transaction. It's actually, the person buys it, you're selling, he buys what you're selling. But the first nine levels, this is all stages within the one who's selling. First starts, the idea, the concept. It begins with the idea, the concept. Then begins with the emotions. And then begins with the moving forward, figuring out how to implement that emotion. And then comes the actual implementation.
0: The spirit of Yisod, that's also associated with sex, uh, well, procreation, or se- and it's, it seems you know, that sexual purity and restraint within you know, laws of family purity is, is very critical. So how does that work in? That's before you get to Malhun. Right,
2: because Yisod is the connector.
0: Um.
2: It's the connector. That connects the, give the, the, tr- the giver with the receiver. That's the point of connection. Wow. And you sow, you give everything. You know, in intimacy, you communicate everything. You give everything that you have, you give. And, and it's all about the tremendous pleasure, personal connection, charisma, personal pleasure that you have. The bond, that's you say, that bond, the connection. And it can be in many forms, not only sexual forms, but a teacher and a student. Like a parent, a father—that's a parent is teaching their child. It's not a stranger teaching a child. It's the parent. there's such a pleasure. You want to transmit, so the transmission is on a whole different level. When when it's done with so much pleasure and You're so much,
0: a, it a degree of intimacy. Yes. Oh. So
2: that that's the idea of yisoy. Yisoy is that personal connection, mm. charisma. Some leaders have it. Some leaders have charisma. They just connect with the audience. Some leaders don't have it. They could be brilliant. They could be talented, but they just don't connect with the audience. It's an intangible thing. It's a, it's a certain they just connect. It's just a, that's yisoid. Yisoid is the ability to connect. The ability to because your whole pleasure is in it, and your whole on more levels than just it's not just mechanical and superficial. It's on a very deep and essential level, and then the transmission is on a whole different level.
0: So, is it associated with the Paris? Yes. But okay. Absolutely. it is.
2: That ability to be intimate, that's, that's a physical reflection of the ability in the soul to connect, to, to transmit, to, to. So it's, the, it's not just the physical, it's the spiritual ability that we have. You say it to connect and to transmit. So that is So this is the whole process. It's a process. It's called it's a It's an evolution that goes from one level, leads to the next level. It leads to the actual communication, the actual, to the deed, till the deed is done. So, when you start with the Torah, Hashem transmitted the Torah through Moshe. Moshe was the transmitter of the Torah. The Torah is Hashem's mind, so to speak. But you have the inner part of the Torah. Pnimius Abba, the inner level of Chach, which is the most, Intangible. It's the most, uh, it's a wordless experience. It's more of a sense, a felt sense. Uh, and that's something that Moshe can't see. Hashem says, he can't see my face. We don't have the ability to grasp it. Because even within Hashem, so to speak, it's not yet formulated in words. It's a pure experience, internal experience. It's only the external level of Chacham. And even that external level, the external level, the way it's enclothed in Bina, which already starts to articulate it and to bring it into words, which then comes into the world of the seven emotions. And then it continues even further. It extends to the lowest levels of the spirit.
1: The manner in which Supernal Chokmah sends Mubina and finds diverse expressions within the seven emotive attributes underlies the divergence of Allahic rulings within the Torah. For the laws of the Torah determining what is kasher, valid, versus pasul, invalid, innocent versus guilty, pure versus impure, and so on, derive from these emotive attributes. Ruling of what is kasher, innocent and pure, derived from Chesed, the attribute of kindness. Rulings of what is basul, guilty and impure, derived from givura, the attribute of severity, and so on.
2: Because if you're liberal and kind, you're gonna find you're gonna draw it near. That you'll try to elevate it. You reject it because that comes from givura. You want to reject. You have to reject it. It's not good enough. It can't be elevated. So, depending on the different attributes, the different approaches that that will express in the, those, Allah, and Hillel, kosher and not kosher, valid or invalid.
1: Moreover, supernal chokhmah extends to the end of the four lowest spherot, Netzach, Chod, Yesod, and Machu, in the Hebrew text abbreviated Nunhe Yuzmah. These latter four emotive attributes are merely the extrinsing offshoots of the first three basic emotive attributes, chesed, gevura, and which they activate and cause to the descend. There, Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy apprehended the penimiyut, i.e., the inner dimension of netzach, hod, yesod, and malfut, whose function is to bring about this descent of the loftier spirit within the worlds that are below Atzilut. However, his apprehension did not extend to the primiyud of the levels of divinity transcending Netzach Hod Yisod Malchut, but only to the Achoraim, the external aspect of Chokmah, which is vested in Bina, which in turn is vested and extended within the primiyud of Netzach Hod Yisod Malchut. In his glosses and emendations to this work, the Rebbe Shlita asks, what does the Alter Rebbe accomplish by repeating that the external aspect of chokhmah vests itself in bina, and in turn in netzachot yesot manchot? It will be noted that here, the Alter Rebbe does not mention its being clothed in the other attributes, as he had done earlier, but only its vestiture in Bina and in Netzach Chod Yesod Malhut. This is the mystic principle underlying the teaching of the Midrash that Novlot, withered vestige, of supernal Chokmah is Torah, i.e., the Torah not the undecealed essence of supernal Chokmah. Only a paler dilution of this can find actual expression in the revealed aspect of the Torah. On the level of Zeratin, i.e., diminished and finite, as explained above. Thus it is written that God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you shall see my back, the Hebrew achorai, suggesting the hinder or external aspect of divinity, but my face, the Hebrew panai, suggesting nimiud, the frontal or inward aspect of divinity, shall not be seen. Even Moses could not behold no more than the achorai of the supernal hokmah, and not its phnimiut or essence. See there in the Kutay of the Arizal and in Shah and Eduah chapter.
2: Nine. So Moshe's level of prophecy, the greatest, according to Maimonides, Moshe is the greatest prophet that ever lived and will ever live. Moshe is even a greater prophet, a greater Navi than Moshiach. Mashiach will be a greater leader. In terms of prophecy, Moshe is the greatest prophet that ever lived. His prophecy is different than all other prophecies. There's a separate principle in the Torah, and the 13 principles, to believe in the prophecy of Moshe. Because his prophecy was the Torah. The other prophets cannot give us a Torah. A prophet is not allowed to uh, render any verdict based on prophecy. The Torah is no longer in heaven. If a prophet says that he, ha- that he has a prophecy that there's laws such and such, he's a, then he's a false prophet. But Moshe, the whole Torah, is by the prophecy of Moshe. Hashem spoke to Moshe. And that was the Torah. Five books of Moshe. So there'll never be another Mount Sinai. There'll never be another revelation. That's one of the 13 principles of, of faith. The Torah will never change. There'll never be another Mount Sinai. So there's only one Moshe. There never was and never will be anyone like Moshe. So his level of prophecy reached the lowest levels of the world of emanation. Not the level of Chachma, wisdom, of Abba, the father. Not the levels of the mother, of Bina. Not the levels of the emotions, the internal emotions. He reached the most external, the leg, so to speak, the most external levels, the external. And there Moshe was able to see and to perceive and to receive. But he couldn't receive from the internal aspects. Hashem says, you can't see my face. Moshe asked Hashem, I want to see, when he prayed for the yidn, and he got Hashem to forgive them for the sin of the golden calf, he asked Hashem, I want to see your face. And Hashem told him, you can't see my face. No one could see my face and live. And it says that we don't see Hashem's face when we live, but we do see Hashem's face right before we die. And that's why many people report people right before they pass away, they like open their eyes wide and, um, and then they die. You can't see Hashem and live. Why does Hashem reveal Himself right before people pass away? Because in that flash, in that moment, you can do truva, you realize your whole life flashes before you. And you realize, what was my life all about? Is my life full of shtuyot? Is my life full of nothing, emptiness, meaninglessness? It's about to die, come to an end, as if it never existed? Was it all about money, power, fame, indulgence, having fun, pleasure, enjoying yourself, distractions, constant vacations from reality? Or was your life a life of substance? Did you find the time, did you have the energy, study Torah, do mitzvah, do acts of goodness and kindness. Not only live for yourself, live for another person. So that moment, that moment of truth, your whole life is in front of you. When you see Hashem and you realize, so you you can either regret the life that you lived or you can appreciate the choices that you made. So that's like opportunity Hashem gives us. The last moment you can do truva. You can... But you can't see Hashem and live. Now, the question is, Moshe requested from Hashem and his request was completely rejected? It's very hard to say. Moshe, the great Moshe Rabbeinu, requested from Hashem and Hashem completely rejected him. So the Rebbe explains, and I think it says elsewhere as well, that Hashem did not reject Moshe's request. Hashem actually answered Moshe positively, favorably. Hashem told him, you're right, you can't see my face and live. But the fact that Hashem told him, you can't see my face, was already a step up. Why? Because Hashem is so remote from us, Hashem is so beyond us, that you can't even say, just like it's nonsensical to say, I can grasp Hashem, it's equally nonsensical to say I can't grasp Hashem. For example, a human analogy: If someone told you I understood the concept so well that I grabbed it with my fingers, you laugh. Ridiculous! You can't grasp concepts with your fingers. <laughs> That's something you can grasp with your fingers. To grasp it with your mind. It's equally nonsensical to say that I heard a concept today that was so deep I couldn't grasp it with my fingers. It's a ridiculous statement. What does fingers and touch have to do with concepts? It's so beyond the whole world of ideas and concepts. It's so beyond the world of touch, the material world. Now, how many degrees of separation is there between the world of touch and the world of ideas? Five. There's touch, there's speech, there's thought, there's feelings, and there's ideas, concepts. What's the highest level? For a human being, the highest level of consciousness is uh, thoughts, con- I mean ideas, concepts. So what's the whole, our whole frame of reference, our whole range is five degrees of separation from the lowest, the sense of touch, to the highest, concepts, ideas, philosophy. And yet, the, the lowest and the highest are so distant, they're so far apart, that in the world of ideas, the sense of touch doesn't exist. So to say that I can grasp an idea with my fingers is ridiculous. And it's equally ridiculous to say that the idea is so deep I can't grasp it with my fingers. There's no connection. In the world of ideas, touch doesn't, doesn't exist. doesn't mean anything. Multiply that infinite times. What is, how many degrees of separation between us and Hashem? Our higher levels of consciousness and mind-blowing experiences and understanding and perception to Hashem. Not five degrees, infinite degrees. So if someone tells, just like it's ridiculous if someone told you, I grasped Hashem with my fingers today. Or if someone told you, I couldn't grasp Hashem with my fingers. It's ridiculous. It's equally ridiculous to say, I grasped Hashem with my mind. I wrap my mind around the ideas of Hashem. And it's equally as ridiculous to say, I couldn't, I can't understand Hashem. Hashem is so far from me, I can't understand Hashem. It's like saying the idea is so deep, I can't grab it with my finger. I mean, it, it's an nonsensical statement. It doesn't mean anything. Because we're not in the same world. It doesn't In the world of ideas, touch doesn't exist. In Hashem's reality, we don't exist. Our minds don't exist. Our meditations and philosophies and music and art and sublime experiences and higher levels of consciousness religion, spirituality, it means absolutely nothing. It doesn't even, exist, doesn't even begin to exist. So before Hashem responded to Moshe, Moshe couldn't even say that I cannot see Hashem. Just like he can't say I see Hashem, he couldn't say I can't see Hashem. There's no connection. It's an nonsensical statement. As a result of his request, Hashem responded, and told him, now Hashem could say, you can't see me. To be able to say, you can't see me, that's a very high level. That means he was elevated to such a level, that means he has some connection. He has so, can such a connection to Hashem, more so than any other human being that ever lived before or since. That he can say, I can't see Hashem. We can't, see, I can't, we can't say, I can't see Hashem, because it doesn't mean anything. There's no relationship at all, there's no connection whatsoever. But Moshe was elevated to a level where he can say, you can't see. me." So his not seeing Hashem means he was elevated to the level that he was able to see and perceive and experience. Netzach, Hoy, and you saw the malchus of The external levels of Hashem, so to speak. The, the legs of Hashem, so to speak. The external level. The external emotion. The characteristic traits of Hashem. That he was able to perceive. And that's not seeing Hashem. You can't see my face. But you can't see my face means he has some connection to the face. Because Moshe is rooted in Hashem's hahman, Hashem's wisdom. So he has some connection. And you can say that I can't see my face. Hashem says you can't perceive, you can't experience my inner self, which is expressed in Chachma. You can't even experience the way the external level of Chachma is revealed in Bina, the world of understanding. You can't even say, you can't even perceive and experience the way the level of Bina is perceived in the world of emotions, the internal emotions. But what you could experience is my, my back, so to speak, which is nihim, the external part. So this is already the external level of Chachma, the way it's already enclosed in Bina, and Bina enclosed in the emotions, and the emotions enclosed in, in the Netzachoid and Sa'id, And that's the level that Moshe was able to perceive and able to grasp. As the greatest prophet that ever lived and will ever live. That was his level of prophecy. That's how remote and removed we are from Hashem. Hashem is so transcendent. Hashem is so beyond us. Not only Hashem in his infinite state. Even the way Hashem, so to speak, emanates from within himself. The tense we wrote and he's speaking our language and he's you know, re- revealing himself through these attributes and these definitions of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and love, and uh, strength, and and beauty, and compassion, etc., even that's too infinite, and too intense, and too powerful, and too beyond our grasp. That even Moshe, who was so tuned in, who was so the most sensitive, the most tuned in prophet that ever lived, even that was too much for him to perceive. and to see. All he can see and all he can experience was the most external level. And that's a Haydn Because by us, you know, prophets, the whole idea of prophecy, to qualify to be a prophet, a person has to be almost a perfect human being. Who does Hashem choose to be his prophet? Only a tzaddik, a saintly person. A godly person. Not some madman with a sword. <laughs> <laughs> the Ramam calls Meshuggah. A prophet is just to qualify to be a prophet, there's no guarantee for prophecy. Prophecy comes from above. Only Hashem chooses who's going to be a prophet. You can't force prophecy. There's nothing you can do to force prophecy. Nothing. You can prepare yourself. You can make yourself more conducive for prophecy, open for prophecy. But you may prepare, nothing will happen. But you can prepare and Hashem will choose you and the spirit of prophecy will hover over you. You become a prophet. It's from Hashem. But it only happens to someone who's worthy. Someone who's in a very high level. The prophet has to be perfect. He has to be wise. He has to be strong, strength of character. He has to overcome his appetites. He has to have show restraint. He has to fully develop his mind and his personality. He has to be almost a perfect human being. So He has to be wealthy even. He has to, he has to be almost like a perfect human being. and humble, and wise, and nice person, a good person, a kind person, profoundly deep person, someone who has sworn away this material pursuits of life and has completely dedicated himself to developing spiritual spiritual side. And if he's worthy, then maybe he'll be a proud. So Moshe was on his own right before he became a prophet it was, if he's the greatest prophet that ever lived you could imagine that he was the most finely tuned most sensitive, most deepest most profound human being that ever lived and then he was he merited that Hashem chose him to be his prophet to be his voice this is a very great principle in Judaism that's why it is a principle of Jewish faith. Why is it such a principle in Jewish faith to believe in prophecy? Why does it have to be a principle of Jewish faith? I mean, of course, we believe in prophets. But why is it a principle of Judaism? If a person is not aware of prophecy, that means he's a heretic. If a person by accident doesn't believe in God, yes, he's a heretic. Just because it's not his fault, if you're missing a principle, the whole building collapses. That's the idea of a principle. A principle means it's a foundation. But it wasn't my fault. I wasn't aware. It doesn't matter. We're not discussing now fault, not fault, punishment, not punishment. If you're missing a principle, the whole building collapses. If a person doesn't believe in these 13 principles, the whole edifice of Judaism collapses. There's no Judaism. You can't claim to be a Jew if you don't believe in these 13 principles. We're not discussing It's not your fault. It is your fault. But you can't claim to be Jewish and be a Jew if you don't know these principles, if you're not aware of these principles. If anyone denies one letter in the Torah, he's already a heretic. That's intentionally, if you every word in the Torah is divine. But if a person doesn't know of, of a verse in the Torah, it doesn't make him a heretic. It's not a principle. Many things are told that they're not the principle, the foundation. But a principle means you remove the pillar and the whole whole building collapses. So why is the belief in prophecy a principle in Judaism? An ikir, a foundation, a fundamental principle in Judaism. According to many commentaries, that was the sin of the golden calf. Some say that the the Jewish people made the golden calf because they were looking to make a god, to worship as an idol. Some say no. They were looking to replace Moshe. They were looking for a leader. They wanted a leader. They thought Moshe died. They wanted a leader. So they made the golden calf. So why is that so terrible? To make a calf as a leader? <laughs> <laughs> so what's so terrible they are looking to have a golden calf to be a leader? The answer is because they didn't believe in prophets. They felt that a leader is there to transmit God, to transmit Hashem, to transmit Hashem's wish. They felt that a human being will interfere. If you take a human being, the human being will get in the way. You create static. No matter how pure a human being is, something gets in the way, something gets lost in the translation. Hashem speaks to the human being, the human being processes it. And you know you lose some of that purity and some of that intensity and it's not the same. A calf, there's no interference. It's a, it's a calf. So it's like a tape recorder. Hashem could speak through the calf and whatever comes out, it's pure.
0: That's what they thought.
2: And that's a fundamental misunderstanding of Torah of Yiddishkeit. The whole point of Yiddishkeit, what they're saying basically is that this world Human beings are not fit for godliness. Human beings are not created to be godly. Human beings are a contradiction to Hashem. To be godly, you have to be perfect. To be godly, you have to be a calf, a golden calf. But a human being who has freedom of choice, who has an ego, who has a body, who has, is human, it's, you can't be perfect. It's like the first seeds of Christianity. You know, you man is born in, in sin and quit while you're behind and the only hope is to confess and to go to heaven and because this, it's hopeless. There's no point. There's no point in doing Torah and mitzvot. There's no point in this whole program because we're doomed from the beginning. So we all need forgiveness and we all have to go to heaven. The golden calf was to be the seeds of that, that falsehood, that complete distortion which denies the whole principle of Judaism. It means 40 days after the giving of the Torah, they completely misunderstood the Torah. They didn't get it. And that's why it's a foundation, it's a fundamental principle in Judaism, that you have to believe in prophecy. Hashem could speak through people. Hashem could communicate through people. He could convey Himself through people. Obviously the person has to be refined and the person has to be saintly and the person has to be selfless and the person has to be whole and has to work in himself and has to be sincere and genuine and ego-less. Yes. But that's not what does it. That's just the preparation. Then he merits the revelation of prophecy. Hashem will reveal him. He'll become a godly person. Hashem will reveal himself to that person and communicate through that person. In other words, we can be godly. All of us, in a sense, could be godly. It says, Mashiach will come, we'll all be prophets. Hashem says, I'm going to pour my spirit and all flesh. All your sons and all your daughters will all be prophets. So we all have that potential. That means we can be prophets. We, human beings, real, live human beings living in this real world, could be godly. That means that the Torah is a realistic program for real people living in the real world. Why? Because right now we're essentially godly. We just don't know it. But our very substance is nothing other than the godly energy, the divine energy is constantly creating us. So it changes, it shifts your whole perspective on yourself, on the other person, on life, on this world. Instead of looking at this world as being harsh and coarse and crass and negative and evil and dark and the antithesis of godliness, when you believe in prophecy, what you're saying is you recognize it's just a facade. That's all it is. This is not the true state of the world. The true state of the world, the natural state of the world, is prophecy, revelation, godliness. Because that's how a true core is. That's why it's a principle. It's a fundamental principle. If you deny prophecy, you're denying the whole Torah. What you're saying, you're relegating God to heaven. What you're saying is that this world is not conducive for godliness. This is not a realistic program for real people living in the real world. So this whole way of life, Jewish way of life, is maybe for angels who live in outer space, or some angels living in heaven somewhere, but not in the year 2015 if you're living in the upper side. So this is a fundamental principle. So a person who's refined, a person who is, then he merits the communication to receive Hashem. He receives a prophecy, receives that experience. And experience is something godly. And that's really the essence of prophecy is really, it's not just the, the message the Prophet has for us. The Rambam says, you know, the Talmud says there were 1,200,000 a million, two hundred thousand prophets over a thousand-year period. There were a million, two hundred thousand Till the till the era of prophecy, the end of the era of prophecy, which was in the beginning of the second temple. There were a million, two hundred thousand prophets. Yet, how many prophets were were recorded for history, for posterity? Forty-eight. the Talmud Answers, that those prophecies that were messages that were for posterity for all generations, those were recorded. All the rest was not for posterity. It was a personal experience. The essence of prophecy is to experience God, to experience Hashem. Not about any practical message I have or to be Hashem, Hashem's messenger. No. The era, the idea of prophecy was to experience Hashem. Not just to philosophize, to understand, but to experience. To see Hashem, to experience Hashem, to experience that prophecy. It's an experience. And once that spirit of prophecy comes over you, you become like a different person. As it says by Shoal. Shoal H- hung out with the with the prophets, and all of a sudden he started prophesying also. And everyone said, "Hagam Shol b'Nevi'im." Shol also became a prophet. We knew him yesterday. He was <laughs> playing around with them. Now Shol became a prophet. Became a holy person. He physically changes, and it's recognizable to everyone. Everyone said, "Hagam Shol b'Nevi'im." Look what happened to Shol. Now suddenly he became a prophet. You feel it yourself. The prophet feels it. Something comes over you, and you become a different person. You become like a different human being. You become like a godly person he become, Moshe was the extreme. Moshe physically changed. Moshe became like an angel. He was like a half angel and half person. That's why Moshe was the only one, the only prophet. Aaron and Miriam, they were prophets, but they were not. Only Moshe was the only one who, after the giving of the Torah, separated from his wife, Tzipporah. Hashem told him to separate him. Because he became like an angel. It's not the Jewish way. The Jewish way is not celibacy. It's very not Jewish. That's why Miriam complained about Moshe. He says, what kind of of path is this? It's not the Jewish path. We don't do that. But Moshe is unique. There never was anyone like Moshe. There never will be anyone like Moshe. Hashem told him, "You, you, you're an angel. So much so... And Moshe was the only one that his face physically radiated. He had to wear a mask. Moshe had to wear a mask. Because they couldn't look at his face. His face, he came down from heaven the third time, after the third time, Yom Kippur. His face radiated. And the Jews couldn't look at his, it was too too bright, they couldn't look at it. It was like a a godly revelation that just emanated from from his face. He had to literally wear a mask. He only took it off when he communicated Torah. When he communicated Torah, he would remove the mask and he would speak to them. Otherwise, Moshe wore a mask because they they couldn't see it. They couldn't look at it. So Moshe became like an angel. He was like a half angel, half human. He physically changed to the most to the to the extreme. But in a way, every prophet experiences a transformation, and it's recognizable to everyone around them. Something changed. There's, there's a godly aura about him. There's, there's something different. But it was a personal experience that they experienced. But Moshe's prophecy, he's talking the greatest prophet that ever lived, the highest level of prophecy. What level was he able to reach? The lowest level of the world of Atzilus, of the world of emanations. He was able to perceive Hashem, the way Hashem, expre- the way external part of Hashem, so to speak. Not Hashem's mind, not his inner mind, not his, even his external mind, so to speak, his mind, the way it's enclosed in the level of Bina, and then the way it's enclosed in Hashem's emotions, and even that, the way it's enclosed in the external, then that the expressions, the auxiliary emotions, which are the netzah, chod, said malchah, that's the level in which he was able to perceive. This is the greatest level of prophecy, achievable. Beyond that, it's not even possible. It's not even humanly possible. No matter how exalted, how sublime human being is, it's not possible for us. to. We're finite. We're limited. So this was the level of, of Moshe's prophecy. And what he's going to ask, and that we'll, we'll learn next week, we're going to open up for questions. He says, how is it possible Moshe only reached the level, the lowest level of the world of emanation, when the Kabbalah, especially Hasidus, discusses levels that are way beyond that. Discusses the emotions of the world of emanation, discusses Hashem's mind, so to speak, and discusses Keter of Hashem, the crown, and the level of Hashem's divine will and divine pleasure and, and the subconscious, so to speak, and the, the beyond, the infinite, and even beyond... Maisha could only reach the lowest level of the world of emanation and Kabbalah speaks freely about levels that are way beyond that. So how can we perceive more than Maisha could? That's the question he's going to ask next week and, and uh, he's going to answer that question. It's a purpose in telling us this, uh, this whole thing. So it's all going to go back to what he started with the two levels of the Torah. You have the garment of the Torah, and you have the light of the Torah, the inner part of the Torah. So Moshe transmitted to us, so you have the, 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 the garment of the Torah, but it does contain within it, it does contain the, um, the inner part of the Torah. So even the Torah, the levels that are beyond our grasp, it's all contained in the Torah that, that is within our breast. All the levels that the Zohar discusses in the Kabbalah and Hasidus, which is so beyond, it's all there in the Talmud and the Halacha, but that's the garment, and that's the level that Moshe transmitted. Moshe transmitted the Torah, the Torah that he gave us, kosher, not kosher, the mitzvahs. He gave us the revealed part of the Torah. Moshe didn't give us the inner parts of the Torah, he gave us the revealed part of the Torah. But within that is contained the light which is infinite, which is beyond beyond our grasp. And it's all there. It's all contained. And, and, it, was re- and it's, it was revealed through Hashem, by Echoi, and the Arizal, and Hasidus, which is a taste of the future. Mashiach will come and Hashem will reveal the light and the inner aspects of the Torah. Innermost aspects of the Torah. This is like an introduction to understand that Moshe, a, that's the question, he's leading up to the question of Moshe, the greatest prophet, and he only reached those levels. How is it that the Arizal and the Rabshim was able to discuss levels which are way beyond this? To reveal the inner parts of the Torah which discusses the Zohar and the Kabbalah, discusses levels that are way beyond what Moshe was able to perceive. How is that possible? Now, by the way, when it says the error of prophecy came to an end, it doesn't mean prophecy came to an end. It means the error of prophecy came to an end. Because before that, there was a, for a thousand years, there were a, a million, two hundred thousand prophets. That was the main focus of the Jewish people. Anyone worth his soul tried to become a prophet. There were schools of prophets. They, they tried to learn how to meditate and how to reflect and how to refine themselves and to tune in and to spiritualize themselves, to be worthy, to prepare themselves to be worthy of receiving prophecy. And then you had to do other things, play music and do things to put yourself in a state, in a meditative state. And then you were able to, if you merit it, if Hashem desired so, you were at least able to receive the prophecy. But then the era of prophecy came to an end. So, as an era, when the entire Jewish people were focused on prophecy, that came to an end. But individual prophets, even afterwards, you had prophets. Rabbi Yehuda, he had prophecy. There were prophets. The Baal was a prophet. The Alter Rebbe was a prophet. All the, prophet. the older were prophets. The Rebbe was a prophet. But individuals, the error of prophecy came to an end. Until the Mashiach will come, that prophecy will return to, to all of us. The error of prophecy will return. But individual prophets, you still have prophets. It doesn't say that there's no more prophets. That's what's so special about the Baal Shem Tov. will conclude with that. Hasidus. Because the Baal Shem received Hasidus. His teacher was Ahi HaShileini. Ahi HaShileini was a prophet. Stood at Sinai. It's 500, he lived over 500 years. He was the one who anointed Elijah the prophet. So, Achia Shiloiini was Barshemtiv's teacher. So, and he taught him for ten years. He revealed himself to the Barshemtiv, and it's the Barshemtiv's twenty-sixth birthday, and he started berachus, and he concluded Le'enei Kol the end of the Torah, the end of the five books of Moshe, and the Barshemtiv's thirty-sixth birthday. And he told him, "It's time for you to reveal yourself to the public." So, Moshe and Barshemtiv received Hasidus from a prophet. Directly, who stood at Sinai, who was one of the most astonishing prophets ever. He was the seventh in the transmission of the Torah. All the seventh are beloved. He spanned the world. He was like one of those who spanned the whole world because he would left Egypt. So it was uh, Adam, you know, Mjuselach, Hashem, and one or two in between. The Gemara says it was seven who spanned the whole world from Elijah the prophet who Ahi Yashilani anointed. And Achi received and saw someone who saw Yaakov, who saw Shame, who saw Meshuselech you know, and Adam. So he was he Ahi was, Yashilani, the greatest ever lived. And he was the Vashemta's teacher. So everything in Hasidus is pure, like mother's milk. It's direct from, a, from a Navi. No, he's in the he's in the wor- other world. And after
0: all that time, he finally. No,
2: no, no he passed away. He passed on. But he revealed himself to the Barsham. Uh-huh. He came in a bodily form and he revealed himself. Wow. He needs to go learn. Wow. So, so. The Hasidus is based on a Navi who stood at Sinai, the greatest, one of the greatest Navi, Achi Ashir who anointed Eliyahu Navi, the seventh of the transmitter of the whole entire Torah. So you have to know that everything that we're learning here, Tanya, this is. Pure as mother's milk. Every word, every letter. This is Hasidus, This is straight from Sinai. Straight from Sinai. This is no. There's no dilution. There's no. Uh, straight from the source. It's as pure as it gets. You have to know when we're connecting to Tanya. When we're connecting to Hasidus, You're connecting to the tree of life. You're connecting to the purest transmission of Torah. From directly from Sinai. From a Navi. From a prophet. You know, it's important, important to
0: remember that, to be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.